Welcome to the voice of St. Anthony Parish from Alston, Massachusetts, right here on WROL, 9.50 a.m., 100.3 FM. And you can also hear us at CatholicAudioMedia.com. That's CatholicAudioMedia.com. Well, today's program and tomorrow and Thursday is really geared towards adult or mature audiences. So if you have really young ears or are listening with you, you might want to consider listening to this program through the podcast later on. I'm sure many of you have met or have someone in your families or know of someone who feels alienated from Christ, from the Catholic Church, and other Christian churches because they are gay. And one of the problems is that when they look at anyone such as ourselves who believe in God as the enemy. Well, today's guest is Eve Tushnet. She is Catholic. She is a convert to the Catholic Church. She teaches the importance of Catholic teaching on celibacy and chastity and she's gay. She's a writer and an author of several books. She's been a Catholic since she was 19. She came out several years before her conversion, and she's with us today, tomorrow, and Thursday to talk about these important teachings. The name of her book is Tenderness, A Gay Christian's Guide to Unlearning Rejection and Experiencing God's Extravagant Love. Tenderness, A Gay Christian's Guide to Unlearning Rejection and Experiencing God's Extravagant Love. You can find that from Ave Maria Press. And now let's go to the interview with Eve Tushnet. Well, I have to tell you, um, I, I, I guess one impression I get of the book is that, you know, as I try to explain to people a lot, um, that Catholic teaching, there are 11 paragraphs on the teaching on chastity, and then if someone wanted more information, I would say, I'll tell you what, read Tenderness by Eve Tushnet. <laughs> and I really think that's... That's very kind. Well, no, I, I think it really does highlight exactly what uh, it is that the um, church teaches. I think you do an excellent job in that. You know, uh, I guess it's interesting that you said, I guess maybe it makes sense because I was trying to kind of... Mm, overcome a lot of misimpressions that I had had and that other gay Christians had had about what chastity would mean for us and what kinds of things we would need to think about and questions we'd need to ask ourselves and to kind of get away from the mentality that I had when I first became Catholic of what I thought life as a gay Catholic entailed, which was mostly like, don't date girls, you know, avoid sexual sin, which is, avoiding sexual sin is, is a good thing to do, but not the same as understanding what your longings might be ordered to, what an ordered expression of them might be, and it definitely isn't the same as building a life practice of chastity. That's, you know, that th- that's a good point, because, you know, one of the things I'm seeing a lot is exactly that you have people who will keep saying the whole message is don't and mm-hmm. i yeah. always highlight this is no if you really understand what the church actually teaches first of all what we're called to do is introduce people to christ and mm-hmm. that builds the relationship and that's where everything comes from so it's not a case of don't and you'll get to heaven it is yeah. this is who christ is and let us understand that Yeah, I mean, the only reason, I say this all the time, the only reason that I understand for caring about the particular moral claims made by the Catholic Church 
is if you genuinely believe that this is that is it is the Catholic Church who has who most helps you to encounter Jesus, who most kind of like mm, helps you to follow the way that he presents. Mm-hmm. It's because of that kind of underlying trust, and it's that trust that is, I think, especially hard for many, 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 many Catholics, but maybe, and in a specific way for gay Catholics to really attain today. Yeah, the, 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 this is something because I'm a writer too, and of course, of course, you are mm-hmm. too. And um, I've seen a lot of writing, and I, I get this comment all the time from other people who are writers or not, and they say, "Yes, yeah, so we know." Uh, a lot of gay people, but, and then, mm-hmm. then goes the by. And w- mm. one of the things that y- you see is a lot of them say, um, we are rejected by the church. The church hates us. Mm-hmm. Uh, they call the Vatican the center of uh, everything that hates us. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this is not what we stand for. And something needs to change in our ability to mm-hmm. reach out to these people. And and I see that very clearly in your book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I guess I would say people often, very often, have had specific bad experiences with Christians that they're thinking of, of being kind of flatly rejected. But underlying that, there's an even deeper thing, which is that there seems to be no vision of what a good future in the church could look like for a gay person. Wow. What's like a fruitful, beautiful, love-filled life that you could have. I did a piece for America Magazine a couple of years ago interviewing people who had received uh, quote-unquote conversion therapy, uh, therapy intended to change their sexual orientation from gay to straight mm-hmm. in Catholic settings. And some of them were pressured into them into it. One person was actually lied to by her therapist yeah. uh, to get her to do this kind of therapy. But some of them really sought it out. And when other Catholics would say, no, you can accept yourself as a gay person, they'd be like, no, I'm going to change. And why is that? Mm. I think for so many of them, it was that they had never seen, <laughs> been presented with by anybody, a vision of a future that would, was orthodox, uh, filled with love, mm-hmm. uh, and not just like miserable and isolated and trying, spending all your life trying to avoid sin. Uh, if you really don't believe that that's possible, or if, if no one has shown you, what could that realistically look like? Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, you're going to do anything you can to avoid it. Some people will do anything they can to avoid it by leaving the church. If you're not going to do that, I think it's very, it's sort of logical that you would say, well, what if I can just stop being gay? Mm. And that drives a lot of pressure. It's a, a lot of choices that people make are, in my opinion, about what's imaginable to them. Mm-hmm. And what's imaginable to us is often what we've seen, what's presented to us. And if you literally don't know anyone or don't know of anyone who is trying to be an obedient Catholic and a self-accepting gay person, then of course you're going to think, well, I'm going to pick one of those two and go with it. Mm. Uh, And it's sort of like whichever thing feels least like a destruction of a part of yourself. Uh, mm. (laughs) So, you know, so, so I think there's, there's a couple conclusions people can draw from that. One is that the advice that Catholics 
have been giving to not come out and to view one's sexual orientation as purely a matter, a private matter, is actually kind of devastating to the next generation because it means they don't, anybody who will listen to that advice cannot be a role model, by essentially by definition. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think the other thing is to say is, is that we don't know that there is precedent for our love, mm-hmm. uh, that there is precedent for our experiences and our longings. And I go into this in big detail in tenderness. That's sort of, mm, I don't want to make this, let me think how to put this. I think that the chapter that I did order in same sex love, it's I think the longest chapter in the book by far. Mm-hmm. And it's exploring the idea that the longings that gay people experience for same-sex intimacy, commitment, sharing our lives with someone of the same sex, like love, mm-hmm. uh, are longings that have an ordered expression. Uh, they don't, it doesn't need to be, well, have you tried loving in the exact same way, but just like switch the object of your affection to someone of the opposite sex, mm-hmm. uh, which is the sort of ex-gay solution. Mm-hmm. You can say, what if you seek an ordered expression for the longings that you, uh, for the objects of your affection that you already have? Uh, and so I tell the story in that chapter uh, of the poet Dunstan Thompson uh, and his lover and then life partner, Philip Trower. Mm-hmm. And I do this because he, as a poet, was sort of a confessional poet. So you can follow throughout his whole life his deep emotions as expressed in, in my opinion, really beautiful poetry. Wow. Uh, but someone who ended up uh, he, uh, returning to his faith after and perhaps because he had found a life partnership with another man, mm-hmm. that it was not when he was sort of flailing around in, you know, um, let me think how to put this. I think there's sometimes a kind of set narrative that you hear. It's almost the stereotypical chastity speaker narrative in high school. Of like, I was so bad. I did everything with everybody. And then I found Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that changed my life. And Dunstan Thompson's story, interestingly, is very different. It's basically, I flailed around and was miserable and promiscuous. And then I met my partner and found domestic happiness in what we now would call just like a normal gay relationship. Mm -hmm. We settled down together. uh, And it was in that experience of consistent domestic happiness and peace that I began to open my heart up again to the possibility of the Catholic faith. Wow. Uh, now, who can know how the Holy Spirit works in a particular person's life? Mm-hmm. But I do find it kind of important that he was that you can trace a progression from more disorder to more order, and the choice to settle down with his partner then becomes part of a more ordered life uh, that ultimately for them uh, resulted in them uh, both becoming practicing Catholics. Uh, Thompson actually asked for permission from his spiritual director for them to continue living together, which I have to say shows an extraordinary amount of trust that I don't think I have. <laughs> uh, it does, yeah. Right. Like, gen- he genuinely said, you know, can we still live together if we are going to try to be chased? Uh, and Rashid answered, yes, in fact, I think it would be good for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that you'll sort of follow God better together. Uh, so like that's one that's only one story but what I'm hoping to do with it is kind of open a window to possibilities Uh, what mm, 
the rest of the chapter is about the models of same-sex love that we find in Scripture. Mm-hmm. Jonathan that, and David and, is, and, mm-hmm. and, yeah. Ruth and, and Ruth and Naomi. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, Jesus and John, the beloved disciple. Y- well, you... That obviously... Mm-hmm. Oh, no, go ahead. What do you say? Like, Jesus uses friendship as a term that models his relationship with all of us, with all of the disciples. Mm-hmm. You know, greater love has no man than this than to lay down his life for his friends. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there, and alongside that, there's also one particular relationship with the beloved disciple who is brought into the Holy Family through his love of Jesus, through the love that he and Jesus share when John gives Mary and John to one another on the cross. We're continuing our program with Eve Tushnet, who is the author of Tenderness, A Gay Christian's Guide to Unlearning Rejection and Experiencing God's Extravagant Love from Ave Maria Press. And she is here continuing her discussion on how to live Catholic teaching as a person who, as she calls herself, a gay Catholic. She is an out lesbian, as she says, and she's well known for this. And she talks about how to live this chaste love that we are called to live, how to live, uh, as I say, the 11 paragraphs on the teaching on chastity in the Catholic Church. She does a great job in her book describing this, and I highly recommend that to everyone who is listening. So we're going to continue our discussion, and remember, this is for mature audiences, I would suggest, but in the meantime, let's switch over to the interview. Uh, and and you highlight, I think, In light of that, it's actually from the same chapter. You say, Mm -hmm. if marriage is the most real relationship, the deepest and truest form of love between adults, why did Jesus not practice it? Uh, You know, it's something I never thought of. And I'm like, wow, that is so powerful. Yeah. I mean, I think ultimately, if, if you look at what is really in Scripture and Catholic history, Christian history, mm-hmm. uh, versus what gay people today are given as models for our lives, mm-hmm. to me, two of the things that stand out most are the reality of same-sex love in Scripture and in Christian history and the fact that there were models and forms for it uh, that were not marriage, they weren't sexual relationships, but they were treated you know, with so much honor and presented with so much beauty in Scripture, uh, and given so much weight as guides to the relationship between God and the human soul, the same way that marriage is or parenting. Uh, And then the other thing that really stands out is the role of celibacy, that celibacy can be many things, an arena for love of other people, a thing that frees you in some ways to love and serve the church and the community and those in need, and also an arena for in a weird way, uh, and a special intimacy with God. Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think right now it is mostly, celibacy mostly is viewed or presented to us as either a thing for people who have a special calling to religious life, mm-hmm. you know, something that you feel inside yourself, I want to be celibate, or else it's kind of mm, a punishment or a depri- purely a deprivation. Mm. Uh, and that makes it, it's very hard to accept an additional deprivation when you're also being discriminated against and treated with suspicion in church. That's an interesting point. I, I didn't think of it that way. Yes. Uh, and, and we'll accept, well, you bring up something that really hit me. Now, 
I should explain to you, I don't know if I mentioned the email, mm-hmm. I'm surrounded by Harvard University. I'm here in Boston. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Our city councilor is openly gay. So, I mean, this is where I live, and this is uh, a, a community that is here, and I'm very much obviously open to ministering to the entire community. And you tell the story. And so I have to think of it as what would happen if I was in this situation of two mm. women who are living a chaste life who tell the priest at the parish that they are gay. And he, he basically says, oh, I wish you didn't say that. Now we, we can't really mm. have you do anything in the parish. And I'm like, that is absolutely unacceptable. Mm-hmm. That makes no sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, and honestly, yeah, yes. I mean, certainly I... <laughs> Certainly, I would say, like, yeah, that's completely right. You, but even when people are not living in, a, in a, you know, are not particularly trying mm-hmm. to live a completely ordered life, even when they don't believe, when they are not orthodox themselves and are not and have no interest in that, mm-hmm. I think, you know, there's so many reasons for that that are coming from incredibly understandable impulses uh, mm-hmm. that, you know, I think the priests that have been most helpful to me and to other gay people I know have been the ones who are willing to like delight in whatever good the person is experiencing in life, whatever graces they're receiving and to be able to see even, you know, even in their same sex relationships, grace, care, love, Mm -hmm. and to say, okay, you know, the church, as with straight couples who are very often not living exactly as they should, mm-hmm. the church has models and education for you here. You know, there's guidance that we can give, but also, like, we can just thank God and rejoice that these are two people who genuinely are seeking to give themselves in love to one another. Mm-hmm. That, like, that in, it, that in itself is something to recognize and honor. Uh, and I think mm, there's often... For reasons that mm, I don't know that I fully understand, uh, there's with gay people, it, we're often treated as if the first question we need to answer in order to kind of place ourselves within the church mm-hmm. is what do you believe about chastity or what are you doing about chastity? Mm-hmm. When that's like, I mean, it's not that that's fake or unimportant, but it's only one part of a person's life. Mm-hmm. And if we instead were to say, what is the next thing that you that we can do together to help you grow closer to God? Mm-hmm. The next thing is often not the most culturally controversial thing. Yeah. You know? Well, it's, well go ahead. Yeah. No, no, I think I'm done there. Okay. Um, this is something I point out all the time. And as I, as I said at the beginning, there were 11, chapter, 11 paragraphs to describe chastity. And another part of the, the it's chapter, or, or rather, I keep saying chapter, paragraph 2098. It says right in there, you cannot live the commandments if you are not a person of prayer, period. Mm-hmm. And this is something I point out all the time, even when I see bishops make statements and everything else, it says, you know, you can make all these statements you want, but it says right in Catholic teaching, you cannot live Mm -hmm. Catholic teaching if you don't pray. So our first Mm -hmm. step should be, how do we help people to pray? Which is pretty much what you just said. Yeah. 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 No, I think that's, 
very often what is the next right thing. The next right thing will not be, well, let's see if we can argue you into accepting particular uh, moral doctrines. Mm -hmm. The next right thing will be, you know, let's pray together or kind of what's the area in your life where you already perceive a need for greater intimacy with God. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Uh, I came, mm-hmm. I found this, uh, um, this thing, I ended up writing an article on it that fascinated me, and it was that St. Thomas Aquinas wrote in the Summa Theologica something he discovered from St. Augustine, and they lived about a thousand years apart. Mm-hmm. And uh, what St. Augustine said and they basically answered the question why didn't jesus write anything down and he he said saint augustine said and then aquinas reiterated it that he didn't want his words set in stone he you know he he wanted people to discover this as they Mm -hmm. went along so Mm -hmm. in 1964 uh martin luther king met with a group of teenagers and of course, they were black teenagers. And one of them said, I look at um, men the way others look at women. Now, this is 1964. <laughs> you can't tell me that someone didn't ask Jesus the same question. Mm. So, so, but of course, it wouldn't be written down. That answer would not be given. You, you wouldn't have it. It's something that, is, mm-hmm. and St. Augustine said, it says in the last line of the Gospel of John that there isn't enough room in the world for all the mm, things that Jesus said and did. But yeah. he says what that means is not the literal world, but in our own way of thinking. It yeah. has to expand. So, so that's one of the things I see. I said, you know, people would have brought this up during Jesus' time. It's just not in the Bible. Yeah, well, and... I, one thing that that does, the fact that not everything that Jesus said is written down in in the words of Scripture, is that it requires us to kind of hand on Scripture and tradition through our own lives and through our relationships and the hierarchy of the Church, and it makes the role of trust in other individual people very vivid. I became Catholic. When I became Catholic, uh, the people who brought me into the church were very clear that they were not asking me to to believe that sort of the particular Catholics that have existed in time were perfect Mm -hmm. or perfectly understood the mind of God. They were very upfront about the sins of the popes, about the sins of the Catholic hierarchy, obviously their own sins. Mm -hmm. And so they, were, they made this separation between trusting the Church as the Bride of Christ and trusting, like, a bunch of Catholics in a room. Hmm. And that's true theologically, mm-hmm. but also it's kind of only believable if the Catholics who introduce you to the Church are trustworthy on at least some level, a yeah. basic human imperfect level. Oh, that's good. Oh, I like that. Now, you come from a Jewish perspective. Yeah. So, yeah, I was raised more or less secular slash Reformed Jewish. Mm-hmm. And at what age did you decide to come into the Catholic Church? Uh, 19. Uh, I was really? 19 when I was uh, baptized and confirmed. Wow. So very young. And a lot yeah. of, you know, a lot of what's in the book is like things I wish I had thought about. <laughs> but, uh, but I had been out of the closet at that point as a lesbian mm-hmm. for mm, about six years, six or seven years, because uh, I came out pretty early. But that, that timeline... <clears throat> That timeline, I'm sure, not so much the coming out part, but the discovering mm-hmm. is well within 
just basically the way the timeline usually runs. Would I be right at that? You know, mm. so you're talking about 13, you came out, mm-hmm. but yeah. you're discovering yeah. around that age that, yeah, you, everyone, as the, as that, uh, 14 year old said, uh, everyone else is at, you, you know, in your mm-hmm. case, looking yep, towards men and exactly you're looking that, towards women. Yeah. Yes. And no, it really was like that. We're talking with Eve Tushnet, author of Tenderness, A Gay Christian's Guide to Unlearning Rejection and Experiencing God's Christian Love from Ave Maria Press. We'll be right back right after this. You can now leave a message for us, which we can air and discuss on this program. Just call 617-297-7452. That's 617-297-7452. 617-297-7452. Feel free to call, leave a comment, a question, or even feedback, and we may play it on the air. I can discuss your comment or question as well, so give that a try. 617-297-7452. 617-297-7452. We bring our final uh, chapter of our interview with Eve Tushnet, a great interview we've had, and she's going to talk to us more um, from her book, Tenderness, A Gay Christian's Guide to Unlearning Rejection and Experiencing God's Extravagant Love. This is for mature audiences, but do enjoy this, and we're going to switch over to the interview right now. Now, other people would say coming out at 13 would be too young. Yeah, and I guess my feeling about that is people's experiences shift and change in both directions, it, mm. you know, and you just got to roll with it and say, this is where I'm at today. I don't have to, like, no one's asking me to commit to a particular identity label for a lifetime. Mm. So why not say where you're at? And then I've, I've, you know, there was a time when I would consider myself significantly more bisexual than I do now. Mm-hmm. And that's just sort of like life happens. You look at those experiences and you revisit them and you say, well, there was something there, but also, you know, there were issues there that I didn't realize at the time. Uh, and I think that happens to a lot of people that they describe when they come out in some way, mm-hmm. most people understand that they're giving you a time slice of their experience. They're saying, this is the conclusion I've come to based on my experience up to this point. And maybe it'll change, but and maybe it won't. Uh, and and again, I think there's an, an mm, interesting... Mm, it's interesting to me mm-hmm. that as I have uh, healed in various ways, and especially since I got sober, since I quit drinking. Oh, that's right. You had drinking uh, issue, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I've become basically, like, more gay. Like, mm-hmm. I think it was accurate to describe my feelings as bisexual for a while. And at this point, I'm like, no, you're pretty much just a lesbian. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what's there. And I think that's interesting in the Catholic context, because there's sometimes the assumption that healing will always make people more heterosexual. Mm-hmm. But so often, healing opens up possibilities for self-acceptance or honesty, living in truth, that actually make people more willing to say, no, I'm gay. Mm-hmm. And, and as the church says, um, th- there is no sin in that. Um, and this is something that confuses a lot of people. Uh, and, and actually, the whole concept of whether or not someone is as you say, is gay or not, or even if we go to the more uh, clinical term homosexual, that comes Mm -hmm. to us from the 1880s, -hmm. uh, comes out of Germany. Prior to that, um, Mm -hmm. that 
concept didn't really exist uh, to the same level. It's just people may have had that, but they didn't have any way to express it as far as verbally, as far as this is what I'm saying. I'm guessing. I'm not a psychologist, but I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think there's kind of... Mm, you certainly see deep life-shaping same-sex love, falling in love with someone of the same sex, mm -hmm. you know, as far back as we have records, uh, and forming a life with someone of the same sex. Again, mm -hmm. that's in scripture. Uh, that's in ancient literature. Mm -hmm. uh, and how that affected people's identity is very different from what it was nowadays, mm -hmm. what it is nowadays. But at the core, like the reason that someone comes out is usually not solely about sexual desire, although there's almost always sexual desire in there somewhere, but about that longing for love, intimacy, a future. Mm -hmm. uh, and that, I think, mm, I have seen it be really kind of eye-opening. It was eye-opening for me mm -hmm. that that kind of future and that kind of life has guidance uh, in the church. That it's not just sort of like, well, we're going to reduce all of that down to the desire for the one thing you're not allowed to do. Mm. <laughs> Which would be crazy if we did it to straight people. If like, you know, what it means to be heterosexual is to be promiscuous. Yeah. People would be devastated because yeah. they wouldn't know how to live out their love. But that's how people define the term gay. Yeah, that it's, that it's only in its essence about the stuff that is prohibited in the catechism and not about like leading a life that is of love and self-gift. Part of the uh, 11 paragraphs is, yeah. and you, you see this in the book, um, Spiritual Friendship by Alred of Revol. Part yeah. of that is the understanding that we're called to have Christ-centered friendships in order to <laughs> live a chaste life. That's right in the catechism. Yeah, I mean, it's, so I want to, say this quickly, I think for some gay people who spend a lot of time in the Catholic world, that can get misapplied as if the purpose of friendship is kind of like medicine or like, uh, it's, you know, it's a chastity accountability partner uh, or a person who can help them heal their father wound or things of that kind. Mm -hmm. And I think if you understand it instead as like, why do you have these longings to delight in another person of the same sex? Well, maybe because that delight is good. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. that to me is a more kind of integrated vision of friendship is about the joy of experiencing the image of God in another person. Uh, and that's... Um Elroy de Revo said that. He said, there is no greater mm -hmm. love than this deep uh, friendship. Mm-hmm. And clearly felt it, you know, when he writes about David and Jonathan, when he writes about his love of the monk Ivo, who mm -hmm. died, his, when he's mourning, uh, and when his, the other after his death, when people who knew him describe him as just a gentle and beloved man, you can see, like, this is someone who felt and experienced friendship as the deepest life-shaping love a person could have, as Christ-like, genuinely Christ-like. I think in our American society, I think this is part of the issue, that 
we th- there is this whole concept that this is, and you you touch on this that this is the way you're supposed to live you you grow up you get married you have children a whole bit and and first of all catholicism has the um the the, the additional vocation that does not involve marriage as we understand mm-hmm. you know and so it has that but um and because of we don't focus on that uh, vocation there we always we even have bought this in the church to turn around and say no this is the way you have to go um, that anything mm-hmm. that would go down the path of this friendship that Alreda Revo talks about people's no 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 you can't go there stop mm-hmm. and I think that's a problem yeah well and you can watch this happen as you mentioned the 1880s it's in the 19th century you watch as areas where there was still quite effusive expression of friendship, really deep bonds were sort of acceptable between people of the same sex. Those, in, for example, in girls' boarding schools, co- women's colleges, began to come under increasing suspicion. Mm. And people began more and more to worry that a friendship is too close, uh, which I think now famously is part of what makes friendship harder. Uh, the exactly. places that I have seen men, men now I think it affects men most of all, mm-hmm. uh, the places I've seen men most willing to be genuinely intimate with one another, uh, nowadays I think are mostly places where they're not afraid if people think they're gay. Mm. Because if you are that deep and intimate with someone and you sort of like, if you're willing to hug and not in the like weird, we're going to hold our bodies like 10 feet apart and reach our arms out to each other. But if you're willing to kind of like show the depth of your friendship, people are going to be like, ooh, what's that? Yes. You know? And you yes. have to be willing to, to kind of let that happen. Be like, well, you know, that's, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? I, I know that what I'm doing is good and what other people think of it is on them. Mm. That's that. That's a good point, and um, and we see that in the church. Uh, you know, the classic story is uh, Saint Cardinal Henry Newman mm-hmm. and yeah. Ambrose Saint yeah. John. He had such a tremendous. It's well known. He had such a tremendous love for him that when he died, his grieving, he says, was greater than that of a, um, a married couple. And yeah. and people today would consider that forbidden, but no, there's nothing wrong with that. Well, frankly, at the time, too, um, mm-hmm. Cardinal Newman is a fascinating figure because people who were anti-Catholic used both his being Catholic uh, and aspects of his personality to kind of accuse him of effeminacy. Mm. So he experienced actual homophobia oh, while wow. also having this deep life-shaping love for his friend, mm-hmm. uh, who he was buried with. Yes. Uh, they're actually buried together. Yeah. And they had, they He's shared a house together. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and NPR yeah. describes them as sharing everything but a marriage bed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that that fits, you know, I mean, they clearly shared their hearts. Um, St. Basil the Great and mm-hmm. Gregory of, I know I'm going to mispronounce this, Nazianzen. Mm-hmm. That was good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's an elegy. I'm going to get wrong who it is of whom. One of them eulogized the other by talking about the union of hearts, that they Mm -hmm. were two souls in a single body, or sorry, one soul in two bodies. Mm -hmm. And they were, you know, they 
experienced that kind of like, at last I found you kind of thing Mm -hmm. with one another uh, and shared that for the rest of their lives. And in that deepened their relationship with Christ as well. Exactly. Yes. Also obviously true of Cardinal Newman and and Ambrose St. John. That just (laughs) highlights this thing that somehow we've lost in, in our society today. Are you familiar with the movie Bridegroom? No. Oh, okay. We showed I showed it here. We sponsored here at the library mm. and worked with the, the uh, city council on that. Uh, it's about two men who uh, are gay and they have uh, a relationship. One of them dies, and he also happens to come from a Christian family. And <laughs> the family cuts the other one out of any kind of experience with funerals he wasn't allowed if he showed up at the funeral he'd be beaten up and he was threatened and i talked to i've talked to people about this is this happens all the time and I oh said, yeah and they yeah. said there's nothing christian about that i was shocked when i saw this and more so everyone i speak to about this is it happens all the time yeah. and it's terrible yeah well, I really appreciate our conversation. We could go on forever, <laughs> but mm-hmm. we, we can't, and mm-hmm. and all that. And in the meantime, this was a wonderful conversation, and I really appreciate yeah. you taking your time. No, absolutely. It's my pleasure, truly. Very good. And the name of the book, again, is um, Tenderness. Well, it's got a subtitle. I don't have it right in front of me, but Tenderness. Sure, I'll do it. I'll do okay, it. I remember. You know it. It's um, <laughs> Tenderness, A Gay Christian's Guide to Unlearning Rejection and Experiencing God's Extravagant Love. And it's published by whom? Ave Maria. And we are St. Anthony Parish from Alston, Massachusetts. We're here every single Monday through Friday at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. You can also hear us at 316 at catholicaudiomedia.com. We'll be back tomorrow with Father Adriano Zandana. We'll see you then. In Cristo vivimos. <laughs>